Welcome to session eight of our new members class, Covenant, Commitment, and Community. Um, let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for this time together. Strengthen our love for Christ. Strengthen our passion for you and our commitment to your church and our love for the people for whom you died, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. When God united us with Christ, he also united us with all other believers in his body. Uh, Charles Simpson has said, not only are we bound to God, but all who are in Christ are bound together with us by his blood. In this lesson, we will look at the context in which these relationships can be practically worked out. We will also see why these relationships are important and what essential character qualities we need to make them work. Um, Let's look at the church as community. Um, Arthur Wallace wrote, the community is the very essence of the church and the very lifestyle of the kingdom. The church is community. That's one of the reasons why we have the word community in our name is because the church is not an organization or structure. It's rather people, specifically people chosen by God, being built together by him to help fulfill his purposes for both them and the world. But how would we describe the exact way these people relate with one another? The New Testament picture of the church, especially as represented in Acts 2:42 through 47, can best be described as community, a unified body of people with common characteristics or interests living together within a larger society. We believe that this type of church life is the ideal that we are to strive for in the local church. This ideal often requires us to think and act in a new way. Americans traditionally think of the individual as supreme, In biblical culture, and in many cultures in the world today, group identity is foremost. And the kind of rugged individualism of American culture is really a foreign concept. Um, One Christian wrote, Entering into community life involves a conversion, as real as my initial one, from being concerned primarily about my individual good to taking a concern for the common good. I pass from superficial relationships based primarily on my convenience and a desire to have my needs met to relationships based on self-sacrifice and a commitment to meeting others' needs. That's so good. And we do. We want to live lives that are large and aren't just focused on me and mine. We want to be looking outward and looking out into the harvest fields and seeing that They're white on the harvest, and there are laborers that are needed to enter into the fields. And we want to, we want to go out in the fields and labor. We want to take our families and build them into the labor of the gospel as well, and not just focus our lives on, you know, um, sort of being a consumer when it comes to church life and just sort of, you know, being focused only on what benefits me rather than, hey, you know, what is God calling me to sacrifice here that I might end up being a blessing to other people? And um, I find that that is a real call from the Lord to not live small lives that are sort of individualistically focused, uh, but really lives that are focused on community and the church and doing everything we can to be a blessing to one another. Um, let's look at the second hub heading, uh, subheading, Fellowship. If the lifestyle of the church is best described as community, or relating with one another within that community is best described by the word fellowship, fellowship expresses the idea of sharing or having something in common with somebody else. The word translated fellowship in the New Testament is also translated as participation, partnership, and communion. 
In essence, it means to share a common life, and it includes a sharing our common life in Christ. Um, C.J. Mahaney defines fellowship as the communication of our current relationship with and experience of God himself. Uh, this is the highest level of fellowship. It involves sharing with fellow Christians what God has revealed to us with the hope of edifying them and seeking to be edified by their experiences as well. And also just being edified by sharing our experiences with others. You know, we get together and talk about sports or talk about a favorite hobby or talk. That doesn't mean necessarily we're having fellowship. Fellowship is just like we just described. It's the communication of our current relationship with God himself and talking about God with one another. Um, you know, there's many Christians too today that can just sort of be uncomfortable with, quote, God talk. We want to make sure that, uh, you know, we're not uncomfortable talking about God at church. We, you know, we want to really love talking about God. He, he's the reason we come together, and he's the one that binds us all together, and we want to make sure that that's a real passion that we have. First um, John 1.3 says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer writes, Fellowship with God is the source from which fellowship among Christians springs. And fellowship with God is the end to which Christian fellowship is a means. We should not, therefore, think of our fellowship with other Christians as a spiritual luxury, an optional addition to the exercises of private devotion. We should recognize, rather, that such fellowship is a spiritual necessity. That's so true. For God has made us in such a way that our fellowship with himself is fed by our fellowship with fellow Christians and requires to be fed constantly for its own deepening and enrichment. Just thank God for Jai Packer and the blessing he is. He wrote a book called Knowing God that's a Christian classic. I'd encourage you, if you haven't read Knowing God, to read that book. B, sharing our material possessions. Um, you see this in Acts 2 and in Acts 4. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Uh, there were no needy persons among them. Their commitment to each other was such that when another was in need, the entire community responded to meet that need in very practical ways. This includes not only giving our possessions, but our time and abilities and service to others. Had a kind brother in the life of our church last week that came up and gave me um, like 600 hours worth of gift cards to care for the needy within the life of our church. And I, I was so moved by the kind of love that came out from this uh, this brother and his wife and his family. And that kind of thing is so beautiful. It, it shows Christ in such powerful ways. And I really thank God for the way the church uh, just shows the love of Christ in ways like that. Romans 12 says, Share with God's people who are in need. And Hebrews 13, do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices God is pleased. We want to be a real giving people and uh, cast our bread upon the waters, as Ecclesiastes says. Uh, see, sharing and daily life, um, they were in the temple daily. It's amazing. When you look at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit after Pentecost and, and you know just the way that the believers were gathering together, they met together in the temple and house to house. I mean, they were they were gathering together regularly, and they were friends. They they practiced hospitality and enjoyed one another's company. 
and the course of daily living. Um, this daily interaction was the context for much of the fellowship mentioned in point A above, as much as well as for the service and ministry that would occur outside the confines of a church meeting. Um, let's look at point three, the whys and what's of fellowship. We fellowship because we need each other. That's so true. I need you, and you need me as a Christian. We, we really need one another. Um, that encourage one another as long as it's called today so that you might not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Like it says in Hebrews 3, let us consider, it says in Hebrews 10, how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We really do need each other. That's why Hebrews 10 also says, you know, let us not give up meeting together as is the habit of some, um, but let's continue to do so and all the more as we see the day approaching. We do. We need each other. That's why God's Word commands us, really, to not give up meeting together and fellowshipping with one another. Um, Ecclesiastes 4 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I love that verse. Um, and so let's look at um, the first point here, effective labor. Um, Ecclesiastes 4. They have a good return for their work. Um, the purpose of the church includes edification or building up the body of Christ and outreach, especially witness to the world. Our relationships are a powerful tool in accomplishing both of these goals. And we really do. Just a word about mission and evangelism locally, we want our whole church to be filled with the Holy Spirit to proclaim the name of Christ boldly, like you see in Acts 4. You know, proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming Christ, that's not just for sort of like type A personalities that have become Christians. And We are all called as Christians to evangelize. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we need to really take to heart and say, you know what, Lord? Please empower me. Open up my mouth to really declare who you are, that you died on the cross for sinners, and to give sinners hope in the gospel so that they might be saved. Um, so that's part of our um, goals of fellowship, is it really sharpens us for mission. Uh, point one, maturity. We are built up as we are built together. This includes both personal character development and bringing the body to maturity through the diversity of gifts in the church. Um, underneath of that subheading, character development. Our involvement with others provides two avenues for growth and holiness. First, we are to take purposeful efforts to help one another grow. Secondly, our interaction with others both exposes our sins and gives us an opportunity to practice godly virtues these can only happen as we regularly interact with those to whom we are mutually committed. As one man has said, one can acquire anything in solitude except character. That's so true. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. B, diversity of gifts. The Holy Spirit distributes gifts to build the church. No one person has all the gifts necessary, but each one is given a gift that contributes to the common good. We need one another and the gifts each brings in order to mature corporately. Ephesians 4.16 says, From him, 
the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. 1 Corinthians 12, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Witness. As important as our individual efforts in evangelism are, we must realize that those efforts are not our only witness. One of the most powerful witnesses we give to the world is our unity and love for one another in the church. It's what Donald Whitney called the the corporate witness of the church. John 13, 35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Jesus says in John 17, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's talking about us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see how unity is a witness? Isn't that powerful? Uh, Jim Durkin says, Unity, then, is manifested by lasting relationships among Christians is the highest form of evangelism. I love that, that lasting relationships among Christians. You know, we shouldn't be the type of people who, you know, have one conflict with somebody and it's like, I'm done, I'm out of here, I'm done with that church, or I'm done with that group of Christians. We want to be building long-lasting relationships. And we run into problems, and we will. Uh, we run into conflict, and we will. We don't want to give up easily on relationships. We want to really be deep in our commitments to one another. Neil McBride says, close relationships among the members of God's family provide a context for applying biblical truth promote unity and caring among the members, meet spiritual and emotional needs, furnish a setting for lifestyle evangelism, and in short, demonstrate the body of Christ in action. That quote there by Neil McBride is really just a great vision quote for why we have our small group ministry called Care Groups in our church right there, and why we encourage you really to to really check out the care groups while you're going through the new members class because becoming a part of a small group in our church really is a prerequisite uh, for membership because we want every believer who becomes a member here to really just be a part of the community in a tangible way. And we understand there's challenges sometimes with people's work schedules and things of that nature, and it makes it challenging at times. But we really want you to do everything you can do to really just embed yourself into the community, not just kind of be a Sunday attender, but kind of distant, but to really plug in and to stay plugged in so that you and I, we continue to grow together in Christ. Um, B, support. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Um, Life can be difficult. We struggle with sin, our own sin and others' sins against us, and the effects of sin, death, Sickness, sorrows, pain, that's all a result of man's fall into sin. You know, we can grow tired, discouraged, fearful, uh, be tempted to give up. We need others to come alongside and support and help us and lift our, lift our arms up, keep us going and encourage us. We really do. Um, 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six. look at this description of the body of Christ. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, Every part rejoices with it. Isn't that beautiful? I love that quote. I love that scripture. Um, look at the quote below. Many very generous Christians find themselves increasingly tired and dispirited, not so much because the work is hard or the success slight, but because they feel isolated, unsupported, and left alone. And if you ever feel that way, we want you to talk to us about it so we can help you 
because uh, we really care about you and love you much in Christ. We are able to do many hard things, tolerate many conflicts, overcome many obstacles, and persevere under many pressures. But when we no longer experience ourselves as part of a caring, supporting, praying community, we quickly lose faith. This is because faith in God's compassionate presence can never be separated from experiencing God's presence in the community, in the church to which we belong. That's why church is so important. We would identify five general areas where we're called to support one another. Number one, comfort the distressed. To comfort means to cheer, to ease the grief or troubles of. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Um, also, encourage the discouraged. To encourage means to inspire with courage, spirit, and hope. To hearten. I love that phrase, to hearten. I want us to do everything we can to hearten one another, to keep going forward. First Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Three, correct the sinful. Correction can include confrontation when we're sinned against, mild admonition or strong rebuke. The goal is always restoration of the sinner. Matthew 18, that you might have looked at in the church discipline addendum, talks about if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Don't don't withdraw. Don't become bitter. Don't nurse your wounds. Don't fester. Go. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If you've got a problem with your brother, take it to your brother. Go to him. Don't talk about him or don't talk about your sister Um you know, with everybody else and not talk with them about it, go. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. Yeah, we don't want to talk bad about one another to other people. We want to go and resolve matters between our brothers and sisters in Christ. Galatians six one, brothers, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. And it's important to be gentle with God's people. But watch yourself or you also may be te- tempted. James 5.16 is a great verse. It talks about that we're called not just to confess our sins to God, but also to confess our sins to one another. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We really do, like 1 John 1 talks about, we want to walk in the light. We want our lives to be open books with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. We don't want to just have sort of secret double lives going on where we're not really opening up and being real about the struggles we're facing. And we want you to feel at Christ Community Church like you can really come and be real and be open and not um, feel like you've got to hide or kind of wear a mask. We want you to be yourself, and we want to really love you in that way. And we just thank God for the way that God's building that type of caring community here, we believe. Help the weak. This would include both material and spiritual help. Help the weak. First Thessalonians 5.14 says, Romans 15.1 says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Um, counsel or teach the ignorant. This would include sharing the wisdom, insight, experiences we've gained with those who need it. 
it is in a special way the job of leaders, but in a general way the duty and privilege of all believers. And that's why we really need to know the Word of God. You know, each of us as Christians, we want to grow in our understanding and our knowledge of the Word year after year so that when brothers and sisters in Christ have need for counsel, we've got something to share with them from God's Word. There's a sort of like a word in due season that we've got from the Scriptures. That's why Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Um, Ephesians 5 talks about one of the evidences of being filled with the Spirit is is that that same verse in Colossians says, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um, that's one of the evidences of being filled with the Holy Spirit. C, protection. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Um, you know, one of the things Satan wants to do is to get Christians in isolation, to pull away from the community. And if you ever find yourself pulling away from church, it's not a good sign. It's very typical. When someone is not doing well, they start to isolate. You know, sometimes you can be away for a season in the life of the church because you're, you know, on vacation or you're, you know, you're just out of town or something or you get sick or, and that's fine. But we don't want to get in the habit of just sort of isolating because then we become vulnerable. Um, you, you see that in National Geographic, some of the old documentaries when the lions would be hunting the wildebeests. They would always hunt the ones that started to get isolated. When you stay in a pack, there's safety in numbers, and that, that's true in the church as well. Leaders are not the only ones who are called to watch over the flock. We are each called to watch over one another's lives to protect one another from sin, deceit, and foolishness by prayer, intervention, counsel. Um, Genesis 4.9's question, am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> that Cain asked. Yeah, they, we are. And we want to look out for one another and have each other's back spiritually and protect one another and guard one another. Uh, Luke 17 says, so watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Uh, James 5, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Romans 16, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them. And Ephesians 6.18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Companionship. Ecclesiastes 4.11, also if two lie down together, they will keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? This verse speaks of our closest relationships. We are related with all in the local church, but we can only be closely related to a few. We're a small group of people. That's why we have small groups. These few will provide us with the most frequent and deepest fellowship. It's so true. It's really hard to get deep with you know the whole church on a Sunday morning, and that's one of the reasons why it's really important to have fellowship in small groups. Um, let's look at point four, essential qualities for biblical fellowship. The Bible contains a multitude of commands on how we are to treat one another. Four qualities stand out. Love. Our entire duty toward our fellow man is summarized in the second great command, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus expanded our understanding of what this meant in John thirteen thirty four. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
What was new about this command was that through the Holy Spirit, Jesus would enable his disciples to love one another and the world with the same love with which he himself loved them. Paul describes this type of love for us in 1 Corinthians 13. And it's a beautiful chapter of Scripture. If you've never read it, I encourage you to, to read 1 Corinthians 13. Um, other wonderful passages on love. Um, Romans 13, 8. 1 Peter 4, 8. Um, 1 John 4 is beautiful. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. First um, John 3.18, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. It's so true. Let's back up our words with action and conviction and commitment to one another. That's what we're called to be like, to really be a true, loving community. Um, B, unity. Unity is more than a lack of strife, but an active pulling together around Jesus and his purpose for the church. It requires us to both build unity and to resist disunity. Luke 11 says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. Um, Building unity. Positively, unity says we are going to work together in love, respect, and mutual submission to glorify God in our mission and relationships. We, must, we may disagree on certain matters, but we must never allow division over anything. Unity also requires that we have an equal regard for all who are part of the church. And we see Ephesians 4, a great passage there. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let's look at resisting disunity. Unity comes easy when everything's going well. The test occurs when things don't go well, as they inevitably will, since the church is made up of imperfect people still capable of sinning in many ways. Maintaining unity here requires a commitment to forgive and a resolve to guard against sins like gossip and slander, bitterness, uh, which grieve the Holy Spirit and they divide believers from one another. Colossians 3 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Galatians 5 is so real. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Ephesians 4.32 is beautiful as well. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Sinclair Ferguson said, When we look realistically at our Christian fellowships, we are forced to acknowledge that being together sometimes causes as many problems as it seems to solve. We come to recognize that the church is a community in which we receive spiritual help, but also one in which deep-seated problems will come to the surface and will require treatment. It's so true. The church is a hospital, you know, called to care for one another when we get sick spiritually, when there's conflict and disagreements, and we work through our problems. We don't run from them, and we don't say, I'm done. We don't give up. We, we press through. That's one of the things we need to really do is fight for community, and fight to stay together, fight for unity and to resist disunity. C, honesty and humility. Uh, deep and lasting relationships are built upon honesty and the trust that is bred as a result. Honesty in both what we say and what we do. And this includes being willing to, number one, open ourselves up to others 
to reveal who we really are so that others can truly know us and to resist any impulses to hide or pretend to be something or someone we are not. Um, it's so important. We want you to really be able to be real here. I One of our new members in our church a couple of years back said, I was so thankful when I came to Christ's community because I was able to take off the mask. I really felt like I could take off the mask. No more masks. And I thought, that's awesome. You know, just that they feel like they really can just be themselves and and uh, that there's a trust there. That's what we want for all of us. Secondly, express and hear correction and constructive criticism so we can help one another grow. Um, that really does take humility, doesn't it? But Christ empowers us to it. Three, bless others through praise, encouragement, thanks, and other expressions of love and regard. That's huge. We want to really be vocal to one another about where we see God moving and just really praise one another in the Lord, not to puff one another up, but to really glorify God in that way. I see Jesus in you. Um, encouragement, thanks, other expressions of love. That's beautiful in the life of the church. We want to live free of hypocrisy, being on the outside what we are on the inside, and being in public what we are in private. Um, Colossians 3, nine says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And Ephesians 4.15, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up to him who is the head, that is Christ. We want to speak the truth in love to one another. We don't want to live a double life. If we're struggling with that, let's get help. Let's go and care for one another and be open with one another about that and walk in the truth, walk in the light with one another. D, commitment. Commitment means uh, a pledge or promise to do something. In this case, to faithfully walk out your relationship with God and his people in a local church until God would direct otherwise. Such a commitment is the biblical norm where believers didn't just attend a church, but were added to and continually devoted to it. And, you know, our burden at Christ Community is, you know, there's going to be some people who, you know, they're going to move someday or get a different job and move out of the area. They're going to leave the church for a good reason. Um, and, you know, we want you to really pray about like, and make a commitment before the Lord that, you know, if you don't become a member of our local church here, that you do become a member of a local church somewhere. And that be, becoming a member of a local church would be a priority for you and your family and your loved ones, no matter where you're at, that you wouldn't kind of tolerate in yourself just sort of like, ah, you know, I really haven't found a church yet, and that's okay. And You know, we really want to, especially in our day where there's so much, so many spiritual resources available to us online. You can't get authentic Christian community in isolation with your computer, you know, using the Internet. You have to be face-to-face with people and interact and have fellowship and let them pray with you and encourage you, and that's what membership and fellowship and community in the local church is all about. Like honesty, commitment establishes trust, which enables us to open our hearts to someone, to begin to relate openly, and to plan for the future together. It lets others know they can count on you in both good times and bad. We, we do. We want to be reliable servants of the Lord. Commitment is often the key element in determining whether a person will grow strong or struggle in their walk with God. Jerry White's quote's wonderful. 
As I observed those whose lives clearly reflected deep spiritual growth and those who seemed to stagnate, I searched for the issue that represented the fork in the road that led to their present state. I believe the foundational issue is specific commitment. Ordinary people who make simple spiritual commitments under the lordship of Jesus Christ make an extraordinary impact on their world. Education, gifts, and abilities do not make the difference. Commitment does love that. And finally, point five, care groups. Care groups at Christ Community Church are a means for defining spiritual authority and care and developing the kind of relationships we've talked about in this lesson. We have a general relationship with all believers in the local church because we worship together on a Sunday, but we're not able to practically walk that out with everybody. We can only walk it out with a small group of people. And because of that, small groups are an essential part of our church life, really representing like the backbone of our church life. And for that reason, involvement in a care group is a requirement for membership in Christ Community Church. We do that for the good of all of our souls. Um, we need it, um, all of us as Christians. John Stott says, the value of the small group is that it can become a community of related persons, and in it, the benefit of relatedness cannot be missed, nor its challenge evaded. I do not think it is an exaggeration to say, therefore, that small groups are indispensable for our growth into spiritual maturity. They really are. They're vital. Um, you know, and you see that in your early church in Acts 2. You know, they gathered in the temple, but they also gathered house to house. And they met in small groups. Um, and they, they were committed to one another in those ways. Um, the purpose of our small groups? Fellowship. Um, care groups provide a place to get to know others on a more personal basis than we would on a Sunday morning. Out of these relationships then grows a love and commitment to other members which will enable us to open up and share with one another our life in God. They also help us further define responsibility for serving within the church. Secondly, ministry. Care groups are a place where we can both receive and learn to give ministry. Many meetings will include a time to pray for one another and to exercise spiritual gifts for edifying the individual or the group. Training. Teaching, study, and discussion will help to further equip us in areas of ministry and service as well as encourage us in our relationship with God. Fourth, Bible study. Our small groups are about studying God's Word and going deeper together and growing in our knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ and of the Word. Uh, five, Bible application and discipleship. We aim to make sure that we're not only growing in knowledge of the Word, but living it also applying it to our lives. Knowledge alone can puff up. We need to make sure we are doers of the word, like James says. And that takes intentional effort. It's possible to know more without changing more, without applying it to our lives. And God wants us to know the truth and live it more and more in our lives as Christians. We are called to mature as Christians, and our small groups are designed to help each of us grow deeper as disciples of Jesus. Care. Well, we want to carry one another's burdens and allow others to carry our burdens throughout our Christian lives together, to pray for one another, counsel one another, rejoice with one another, weep with one another, mourn with one another, love one another. That's one of the reasons why we, we really need them care groups, because we want to care for one another's souls. We want to, like Christian and hopeful in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, we want to be deep friends with those around us in our small group in the church so that we help them on their journey toward heaven to make it, help them get there because we're running the race right by their side 
and encouraging them in Christ. Uh, B, the care group leader's role. Um, though not elders, they are men of character and gifting who are called to represent the care of the pastoral team to you, and they're available to serve you along with their wives. Um, they will seek to encourage you in your walk with Christ and passion for him. They will seek to spur you on toward love and good deeds, and you want to really just step into that, embrace that, and uh, do all you can to be a blessing in your small group and do the same. We want all the members of the small groups in our church to really jump in and own the group and to minister one to another. Three, they will lead and guide discussions and personal ministry during the small group meetings and seek to always remind you of the cross and Jesus' great love for you. Death and resurrection. Our responsibilities, each member of a group is important to the group and can add to its success by, number one, I mentioned this just a moment ago, owning the group and seeking to make it thrive for Christ. You know, you know, take your time. Check out different groups in the church and pray about, like, where does God want me to go? Um, and then when you go there, you want to really own it and really seek to, you know, make it thrive. We never want to have a mindset of, like, oh, man, I'm just just kind of showing up to take a spot on a seat or on the couch. We want to go and minister to people. We want to have a mindset of, like, how can I go and encourage somebody tonight in Christ and light them up on fire for Jesus even more? Um, and, and have a real sense of purpose in our hearts. Um, secondly, faithfully attending the meetings and the functions. Third, coming on time, ready to contribute. Fourthly, coming ready to share and serve. Five, building relationships with other members outside of the meeting context. Six, regularly praying for and encouraging the other members of your group. Seven, reaching out to new people. Be a provider of ministry. Um, eight, cultivate a deep personal relationship with Jesus. Um, those are just some points there related to our responsibilities. I know you can think of some more important values, but I think you know that point about ownership and just really showing up and not just have never having a mentality of, well, it's just another meeting tonight. No, we want to go and we want to press in. We want to spur one another on and you know let it be like that iron sharpening iron, you know, type ministry where we're growing, where we're becoming sharper, where we're becoming more passionate for Jesus, and we're growing in our knowledge and application of the Word of God. So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for just this lesson, and I pray that you would really help us all to grow um, in being more committed to the church. And, Lord, I pray that you would really cause us to run the race for Jesus all the way to the end. And, Lord, that you would really cause us to love your church, love the people for whom you died, and do everything we can to play our part to serve. And we thank you so much for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.